The CBF Podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. Hey, podcast listeners, this is your host, Andy Hale. We are thrilled to bring you another year of CBF's podcast with a cavalcade of brilliant guests such as Father Tom Reese, Washington Post's Sarah Pulliam Bailey, Mark Charles, Soong Chen Ra, and Matthew Paul Turner. And that's just skimming the surface of the first few months. As you know, last fall, we launched the Podcast Listener Support Project. This is an opportunity for you to connect closer with the podcast and premier guest. By becoming a podcast supporter, you can join me on an interview with premier guests such as Walter Brueggemann, Sarah Bessie, and Brian McLaren. So check out cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. This week's CBF Podcast Conversation is brought to you by Equal Exchange. Equal Exchange is a 33-year-old fair trade organization that works with small-scale farmers in 20 countries to bring you organic coffee, tea, chocolate, cocoa, and nuts. Serve high-quality coffee during fellowship that matches your congregation's values with prices starting at $0.10 a cup. Fundraising with fairly traded products at an Easter or Christmas event. Equal Exchange also offers a line of products from Palestinian farmers in the West Bank, including organic olive oil, moftul, frika, and dates. For more information, visit equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. That's equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. Our guests for this week's CBF podcast conversation are Susan Scalar and LJ Taylor. They are colleagues at Equal Exchange. LJ serves as a regional sales manager, while Susan is the interfaith team manager. Thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. 
Now, before we get to talking about fairly traded coffee and chocolate, we want the audience to know a little bit about some of the faces that are behind this fascinating organization. Uh, so Susan, let's start with you. Uh, you're not Baptist, but you do have a Baptist connection because you live in the home of a historic Baptist figure, Roger Williams. Uh, you are in Providence, Rhode Island. That's right. That's right. You've done your homework. Uh, well, I actually grew up, I, I lived a year right outside of Rhode Island in Madison, Connecticut. And Rhode Island is one of the most beautiful states. And not many people um, know it. Of course, they know it as the smallest state in, in the country. But can you, uh, can you drop some, some wisdom, some not well-known facts about the state of Rhode Island that you feel like our listeners should know? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right about Roger Williams. He was this amazing figure who really um, preached a separation between church and state and um, as such was kicked out of um, all of the early um, religious groups um, until he ended up in Rhode Island. And um, so he definitely um, preached tolerance. And I think because of that, Rhode Island really does have um, a, a unique environment of tolerance. Um, people are friendly. There's a lot of different religious groups there. Um, great food. We have great food in Providence. We have a lot of um, different ethnic groups that live there, a big Latino community, um, and a lot of access to uh, beaches, which, which is really, really nice. So um, um, it's a very wonderful place to live. I enjoy it. You could probably walk across the state in an entire day. That's right. That's right. Not quite, but yes, it's, yeah. it is very small. <laughs> a little bit of a stretch. Now, you've, uh, you've served as an educator at Rhode Island College and as an organizer. Um, tell us a little bit more about your sense of vocational calling to some of the things that you do. Yeah, I've always been um, oriented towards um, the public sector and community groups. Um, and that might be because of my own religious upbringing, which um, was Jewish, and I'm still Jewish. And um, I had a rabbi who really um, focused on social action and social justice and ethics, and that influenced me a lot. And so when I was younger, I was involved in Jewish youth movements and um, worked for way back when, worked um, on behalf of the farm workers and um, it's just continued and continued up until this, this time. Now, um, not going all Baptist history on everyone, but LJ, you are also living in a historic Baptist location, yes, Orange, Virginia. Of course, Orange County is where the Baptist minister, John Leland, met with James Madison and influenced him to incorporate religious freedom into the drafts of uh, the Constitution. Um, well, outside of where you live, LJ, tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, well, uh, I am uh, here in Orange, as you said, and uh, I've uh, been working with Equal Exchange since 2003, which is just crazy sometimes. Um, and I think the best part of um, how my life has played out is that I've gotten to follow a lot of passions. And part of that is working for a company that's based in Massachusetts, but living in Virginia um, and being close to family and friends. Um, being able to serve my community, being able to um, be highly involved in my church. Um, and those type of things have really created a life that I am just so blessed to have. 
Are you uh, still living on the high of the Virginia Cavaliers winning the national title last year? Yes. So uh, I attended the University of Virginia and uh, the, the greatness of the failure that happened the year before and the height of the success that happened the year after has just been so amazing. And my favorite part about it is that uh, Coach Bennett continues to use both success and failures to really teach young men a lot about uh, life and about their faith and about love and about things being more than about winning and losing. And that's just been so proud that he's a coach at my university and it's just been an amazing run uh, these last couple of years. Plus it feels good to have a team that's won the national title. Yeah, always, always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, you've both been an equal exchange for over a decade uh, now. LJ, um, tell us what equal exchange is. Uh, walk us through its history. Yeah, so uh, Equal Exchange was uh, started in 1986. Um, our three founders were part of uh, the food sovereignty and co-op movement um, and really wanted to find a way um, to bring values to both our small-scale producers and to consumers and to do that as tightly as possible. They wanted to create a supply chain that allowed people to be connected with their products, to be connected with the people who were growing those products, and for us to find a way to help small scale farmers do what they've been doing for generations, right? Um, there is a significant amount of dignity in um, perfecting a craft um, over generations. And in particular, if you think about coffee, which is we started with coffee, um, those families have been working on the same land for generations. And because those lands are so remote, oftentimes they were beholden to whoever could show up to purchase their product. Um, we wanted to find a system that didn't expose them to um, trade partners who simply because they could show up could take advantage of them. And we wanted to work directly. We wanted to provide a means for market in the United States. But more than anything, we wanted to tell their stories. We wanted them to not just be a product. You know, I can tell you when I first started drinking coffee, the only producer name I knew was Juan Valdez, right? And uh, I can tell you through the experience of Equal Exchange, through my work with Equal Exchange, I understand the true diversity of where our coffee comes from, Asia, Africa, South America, Latin America. It, it is so ingrained culturally in these communities, and it's a real pleasure to be able to work for an organization that can bring that to the world while representing the people and not just their product. Hmm. Now, I know Equal Exchange has you know, a set of core values and mission and vision. But Susan, I wonder if in your words, through your experience, you know, what is, what is the core vision and mission of, of the cooperative? The core vision is to um, work with small scale farmers um, to change the whole way that farmers are dealt with farmers, um, particularly in the countries that we deal with, Central America, South America, Africa, Asia, um, 
are some of the poorest people on the planet and they have small um, plots of land and they do the growing of crops, but they don't get compensated for what they grow. They can't stay on the land. They can't plan for the future. They can't even feed their families. And a lot of them are forced to abandon their land and go work in factories um, for a dollar or two a day because they can't uh, make enough money to, to stay on the land. So it's a very different model of dealing with farmers, dealing with producers, and doing trade. Um, the, you know, the trade and the commerce that we do these days is very, very corporate and it's very bottom line. And this is really much more mission-based about working with people, giving them um, the, the money that they deserve, allowing them to live their lives um, in a way, in, in a high quality way where they can actually, um, you know, have a good life and, and get the compensation that they deserve. Now, uh, Rick Dickinson, your executive director, has said the need of small farmers, whether they grow coffee in the South or produce in the North, may be quite similar. Both groups need better access to and more control over the market. That can only happen if consumers use their market power to vote their fair prices to the grower, better access to financing small farmers and more environmentally stable, sustainable uh, production. LJ, uh, fair trade is is nothing new, um, but for equal exchange, what does fair trade mean? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that question because I think um, recently the words fair trade have been co-opted and morphed into um, lots of different things, sort of going the way that, you know, organic was a thing and then natural and all natural, you know, there are words out there that tend to confuse. So I really like to talk about what fair trade means to us. And what it does mean to us is that small scale farmers are at the heart of it, that you pursue working with small scale farmers, organized and democratically run cooperatives in order to provide products to consumers with the smallest supply chain possible, with the most information possible. We want to work directly with them, with our small-scale producer groups to do that. We're into building long-term relationships. That is to say, we're not out chasing the hot chocolate or the hot, <laughs> I said hot chocolate, out pursuing the hot chocolate or the hot coffee item. What we're trying to do is work with our trade partners over long-term so that we can grow and learn together, that we can develop better systems so that we can all uh, bring up the quality um, that exists in the market. We, you, you mentioned advanced credit in your answer, and you know, I often talk about that one component because it's interesting, right? Um, I, I often tell people, think about your paycheck and think about how often you're paid. And then instead of your system, imagine that you're paid once a year and you don't find out what your pay rate is until you get paid that one time that year. It's a really hard life. Um, we try to combat that by providing advanced credit um, for our producer groups. We negotiate contracts ahead of time so that there is a clear view of what it is that they're going to be compensated for in our purchasing relationship. But more than anything, for us, it's about putting dignity into purchasing. 
it's about us dealing with people in a way that shows that we have values. And by demonstrating through our success that you can do business that way. There is such a race to the bottom in so many different markets where it doesn't really matter where it came from as long as it's as cheap as possible. And really we're trying to do different, we're trying to do business in a different way. We're trying to provide great prices to producers. We're trying to provide affordable prices to customers. And we're trying to do all of that by shortening the supply chain, cutting out middlemen, and working directly over long-term relationships with our producer groups. You know, uh, I guess maybe flesh out for us, in your perspective, what are the theological implications for the fair trade movement? Yeah, I think about this a lot. Um, it's, it is no accident that um, I ended up at, at Equal Exchange. Um, I have a firm belief that God puts different talents in each one of us. Um, one of the biggest ones that he's put in me is my competitive nature. <laughs> I love to compete. And um, I love to win. And it's, it's this thing that's a drive that was given to me. And I know I've had it for as long as possible. I worked for several other companies before Equal Exchange. Um, and I always had this push and pull in my life where it was, I'm succeeding at work. I'm getting good numbers. I'm getting praise. But I didn't necessarily see that connecting to anything that was making the world a better place. And um, from a very early age, I had a youth director who told me that my job was to love God and to love people. And if we can put that in everything we do, he will be pleased with us. And it's really interesting to work for a worker-owned cooperative like Equal Exchange, where I can succeed and I can push and I can go out and compete, but I'm competing in order to provide dignity and respect and um, generational change in the world for small scale farmers. I feel like in a way it is an opportunity to take what I know was a drive in me and use it to actually love on people all over the world. And that is small scale farmers, that's consumers, that's my worker owners that I own this company with, it's everybody. So that competition, that, that drive fits perfectly when you're doing business for an organization that has a mission that is truly about people, that, that I, I, God couldn't have put me in a better place. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. 
Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. For those that are kind of wanting to know more about um, kind of the the drive behind fair trade, there's actually a great docu-series on Netflix entitled Broken. And uh, there's a specific episode that comes to mind. It's called Bitter Chocolate. And it gives you a better perspective into how you get the chocolate that you eat in your candy bar, sip in your Java chip frappuccino, the work that's done by the farmers and the lack of pay they receive, the conditions they have to work in, uh, the treatment of the product and the brokers that make all the money off of this. Um, and so that's what's fascinating about the work that you're doing. And, and LJ, you talked a little bit about it just there, but Susan, I wonder if you would add to it, you know, unless you're a person that's just in it for the paycheck, most of us are working in fields <laughs> in which we, we care deeply about. So Susan, yeah. what, I wonder, LJ talked about it. What, what drew you to Equal Exchange? Yeah, I'm definitely not in this for the paycheck. Uh, we have very kind of um, mission-driven kind of salaries. It's a, it's a cooperative here. Um, I would rather be here than anywhere um, because it's, a, it's an organization of like-minded people. Um, I feel like I'm a, an extremely empathetic person, and I always have been, and I'm always concerned about people who are oppressed and concerned about minorities. Um, I'm very, um, I get very upset and angry about situations where, where people are not being treated well or not, or people are not getting what they deserve. Um, that probably came a lot from my, um, religious upbringing. And, um, and then I, I think it just comes from my natural sense of empathy with people needing to connect with people, caring and loving people. Um, and that's just part of who I am. And so it's really great to be part of Equal Exchange, which is a cooperative. It's not as hierarchical as other organizations. We share a lot. We're all equals. Um, we're, we're all working on this project together. Um, it just, it, it feels good to be here. And I have to say the connections that I've had with um, the different people who are the coordinators or the leaders of the um, denominations of the, the 13 uh, faith-based partnerships that we work with are just amazing people. Um, we go to conferences of the different denominations and uh, talk to all the different people who are involved and interested in social action. It's very, very inspiring. So um, I feel like I've been able to plug into something here, do a lot of good work, help farmers, actually help the environment. That's another part of what we do. Um, you know, advocate for sustainable food and, um, you know, the environment. And it's just, it's been really satisfying. I think about um, the stories of uh, the farmers, you know, the stories of the people who are actually growing these crops. Um, LJ, how do you how do you identify uh, some of your partnering farmers, and whose stories do do we need to know? 
Yeah, so we try to put our producers as the forefront of what we do. And, you know, I think the way we do it in a lot of ways. One of the ways that I want to talk about is each of our worker owners, after they've been with Equal Exchange for a certain amount of time, actually takes a trip to go visit um, some of our producer partners. Um, and the effect that that has on our worker owners is tremendous. And I'll just tell a personal story because, you know, share my story. Uh, my trip when I had been at Equal Exchange for a couple years, it was in 2005, was to Nicaragua. And um, we went and Nicaragua is just beautiful. And we spend about a day getting to where we're going. And um, during that time, um, our, the time of our visit, the, the women um, in, in this uh, producer group were actually pickling peppers. And the whole community was super excited about it. And it was a big deal. And I, I was asking them why it was such a big deal. And they talked about the fact that it was really only once a year that they had access to jars to be able to do this. And I, I broke. So I'm sitting on a hillside in Nicaragua, like emotionally crying, and I couldn't put together what it was. And it was the symbol of the lack of access. I got home and when I walked into a grocery store, I flipped out and I had to leave. And the dynamic of the lack of access of a jar to the sheer amount of products in a grocery store was a dynamic that I wasn't quite prepared to handle. When you understand those dynamics, telling a producer story becomes one of the most important things that you can do. And when we talk about these producers, they, to them, every single producer I've ever asked, what can I do to help? They always say, sell more product. They're, they're not in any way wanting to be treated special. They just want to have access to be able to have their products have a shot. So when we think about who we want to talk about, what faces we want to put out in front uh, when we're thinking about our products, we want to put those stories. We want to talk about, um, you know, the the you know young woman who from a very early age was tasting coffee and now has become one of the most successful coffee graders in Colombia, right? We wanna talk about the tea farmers um, you know, in Asia who um, basically assumed ownership of an abandoned tea plantation. You know, the owners left and as workers on that plantation, they were left. And they were able to form together to get the land back together and to be able to make a product. Small farmer tea is not well known. That's not something that, that's not everywhere. The vast majority of tea is grown on plantations. So it's an extraordinary story to talk about these people. It's an extraordinary story because it's absolutely different. And those are the kind of stories that we want to tell. 
We want to take the thing that's normal, the thing that people just assume is there, and actually tell the story about the people behind it. And, and when we can do that, it's, it's, it's incredible. I like your collaboration across many countries and, and products. Equal Exchange is a co-op of multiple faiths. Uh, Susan, tell us about your interfaith program. Um, what kind of groups are involved in this program and, and why it's important to Equal Exchange? Sure. The interfaith program started about 10 years after Equal started in 1986. So in 1996, it began with a few different groups, so it's 24 years old now. Um, our largest groups are um, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, and we work with um, 13 different groups, um, 12 of which are Christian, one is, is Jewish. Um, most of them are relief organizations, and they represent the denomination, um, and they are usually groups that um, have all different kinds of projects um, to help eradicate poverty and to work on um, all kinds of issues. So um, we've just been growing the program, and um, what we try to do is encourage congregations and what the relief organizations that are our partners do is they um, encourage their congregations to use coffee during coffee hour. Um, they encourage people to do table sales and to do Christmas and holiday bazaars to sell equal exchange products, either to sell them for the cost that they buy them for or to mark them up so that they can make a little bit of money for some kind of um, program in the congregation and um, it just it's part of uh, the mission for the church to get people to think about farmers in a different way and where their food comes from we have run delegations to different countries and we take people to uh, a coffee cooperative and, and do homestays and have people stay overnight uh, for a night or two. And that is just so powerful for people to see what the homes of the farmers are like, uh, the dirt floors, the chickens running through, um, very, very simple um, parts of it. And uh, it really touches people because even though the, the life of the farmer is so simple, the families that we stay with will take us with pride to show us their coffee bushes and trees, and they'll welcome you into their family. They'll just, you know, give you all sorts of, um, you know, good food. They'll just heap your plate full of food, and uh, they're very open, very loving. They really want they're very proud of what they do and they have so much less than we have so people are always very very affected when they go to visit the farmers and it, it changes them uh, a lot of the people who are our most committed advocates in the congregations are people who have gone on delegations with us 
and uh, they just understand things in a whole different way. So um, it's it's great to come into contact. Again, we try to go to different denominational uh, conferences uh, at least once or twice um, a year and try to meet people and try to explain what we do. We have a lot of good resources and tools and educational information. And uh, it's, it's a really great program. Now for local church leaders and pastors listening to this conversation, what might be some practical ways they can get involved with Eagle Exchange? Well, if they get in touch with us and hopefully there'll be a, um, a, a website that's posted, we can get them all kinds of materials on how to set up a program, how to start um, setting up a table, how to serve coffee at fellowship. Um, and we have all kinds of sheets and information. We actually have a lot of uh, videos at this point and PowerPoints that we can share on how to go about doing this in a congregation. So uh, definitely get in touch with myself or Bethany and we can set you up. Now, uh, labeling a Baptist is a pretty inexplicable task. Um, just when you think you know who Baptists are, then you realize there are literally thousands of ways of being Baptist. Um, so that's what's happening uh, when our uh, founder's principle was that the local autonomy of the church matters. We kind of all just kind of split and divided and create our own thing. But LJ, what are, what are some of um, your Baptist partnerships that you've built into Equal Exchange? Yeah, so it's interesting because um, for a long time, I thought of them as separate entities, that there's work and then there is, you know, faith. And over the, I wouldn't necessarily say that I've incorporated Baptist ministries or Baptist uh, partnerships into the work. But what I have said, what I will say is that I have a life uh, created through my work at Equal Exchange where I get to be highly involved locally. And I think the, the local part that you were talking about is super important to me. So, you know, I, I was a Massachusetts kid and I, I took, you know, I often joke that I took the Leland path because I was in Massachusetts and I ended up in Virginia. Um, and... Uh, went to the University of Virginia, moved back to Massachusetts, was working uh, at Equal Exchange and got married and had, you know, we have some kids and it was, how do I want to live my life? How do I want to um, express my faith? How do I want to affect communities? Um, and my wife and I prayed a whole bunch about it and, um, I was for, went to school in Central Virginia. She had family here and we moved. And because of that move and because Equal Exchange helped facilitate that move with me by allowing me to work remotely, um, I do. I get to affect my community in ways that I never imagined possible. Again, I firmly believe that all of this was part of God's plan. So I'm now here and I am a deacon at my church. 
I uh, have the ability to be the director of basketball for our Upward League, which serves over 300 children in our community. Been able to be on the town planning commission um, here in town because I do believe that the largest way to express our faith is to be involved, to let our light shine, and to let that be for the glory of God. And that, that part is just amazing to me. So I never stand out, you know, jumping up and down, <laughs> pounding the Baptist flag. But what I do believe is that demonstrating through who you are, what you do, eventually someone will ask you why you do it that way. And I do it that way because uh, I serve a pretty amazing God. So it would, um, it would not be a conversation about equal exchange if y'all didn't have an opportunity to plug some of the uh, great products that you have. So I've had your coffee, I've had your chocolate. Uh, what else should I be buying and tasting? We have tea, we have nuts. Um, we have Palestinian products from the West Bank that support Palestinian small farmers. So we have amazing olive oil and we have dates and different types of grains. Um, what about, what else am I forgetting LJ? We, we, we actually do sell, uh, fresh bananas and avocados, um, in different parts of the country. They're not available everywhere but you might find them in your supermarket with an equal exchange label on them. They're organic and they're delicious. That is most of it, I think. Pretty good list, you know. It, it's yeah. a fantastic list. <laughs> so <laughs> it what's, keeps uh, me full. <laughs> what's next for equal exchange? What kind of projects do you all have coming up that we should be knowing about? We have started to move in the direction of uh, cheese, artisan cheese. We're working with some U.S. small dairy farmers, and they are being forced off their land, and they have to—they've been giving up their herds and going out of business because there's consolidation in the milk business. So we are actually starting to work with some farmers around the countries that country that. Um, that make artisan cheese and, and they're able to continue to make a living that way. And we're going to start, we started a pilot program and we're going to start trying to broaden that program in the next year. Well, if you want to stay connected with equal exchange, you can visit equalexchange.coop, follow them on social media. And of course go out and purchase some of the best coffee and chocolate and tea and more at shop.equalexchange.coop. Susan and LJ, thank you for reminding us that we have a responsibility to not only care about the products that we buy, but also who's making and producing them. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, 
free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.